following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. You should experience lots of explosions with no body parts. Parents should be ready to cover their ears. Broken Sea Audio Production, OTR Swag Cast. Jake Sampson, monster hunter and world adventurer. I'm currently in Brazil at the request of an old friend of the family, Sir Cedric Harbin. I'm just not sure what to think, only that his archaeological expedition has run afoul of something strange. A few of the townspeople have spoken with me about a very strange phenomenon that has caused fear within the region. Some say it's myth, others that it's real. In either case, I hope to learn the secret of the vulture people. Local legend also purports the existence of a giant spider. Some have said even larger than a Great Dane or a bull mastiff. Well, that remains to be seen. In the course of our expedition here, we hope to probe the deepest jungles in search of this creature. 
to see if it is indeed real, and if necessary, to put it into it once and for all. Well, as soon as Tex and Lucy get here from their little sightseeing trip, I imagine we'll be off. In the meantime, I'd like to invite you to sit back, have a drink with me, and listen to the radio. Two of my favorite shows are about to start. Beyond Midnight and Lights Out. Cedric Harbin, the archaeologist, had been lying in his confined canvas cot for eight days and nights. A young Chavanti native fanned him constantly to keep away the mosquitoes and the tiny, vicious helm flies. Occasionally, Sir Cedric tried to sit up, despite the adhesive strapped over his bare chest like a cocoon. But it was always the same. He sank back with a groan. <coughs> The Mato Grosso interior. Harbin. Three broken ribs. Harbin? Sir Cedric Harbin. But Boa constrictors are no respecters of titles. What's a knight of the realm to a great reptile disturbed from its slumber? It acted in the only way possible. It whipped its coils around the blundering human and squeezed and squeezed. And Sir Cedric, archaeologist, passed from the dimmit light of the jungle into and beyond midnight. Are you in pain? Uh, not much. Just just bored and disgusted. Uh, haven't you gone to bed yet? Poor darling. Soaking wet. Get off from my back. Diana. So hot. My dearest. Can you be so bright and cheery after the confounded mess I've made of this expedition? Walking into that burr constrictor like a, a blasted tourist who'd never set foot in the Mento Grosso before. Uh, uh, I don't know why I ever let this foundation talk me to this jaunt. Uh, on our honeymoon. What was I thinking of? Dragging you into this cauldron. Darling, if you can't sleep, at least try to relax. Here. Now, read. You can't go hunting your precious lost city with three broken ribs, and that's all there is to it. Now, stop fretting. Mario's got the situation well in hand. Mario? Oh, yes, yes. Our handsome and dashing young guide. Handsome. <laughs> you see, I hadn't noticed. Cedric, I do believe you're jealous. Of Mario. Ah, senora, you're like a jungle orchid. 
Oh, darling, he's so corny. Did he really say that to you? Insolent half-breed swine. Send him in here. I'll sack him right now. <laughs> you do nothing of the kind. All Brazilians make passes at every girl they meet from Europe. <laughs> it's part of their good neighbor policy. But Mario's a very efficient guide. He's kept these war-happy Chavantes from traipsing off to start something but other tribes. He's kept a supply of mandioca and rapadura without trading half our equipment to get it. And he's the only guide in Belém who had the vaguest idea how to reach that lost city of yours. Remember, all you have as proof is that silly old paper in the Biblioteca Nacional in Rio. <laughs> Mario doesn't believe it exists. Uh, Mario! If Colonel Fawcett and his sons died trying to find it in 1925, there must be... If I were only off this ridiculous cot... We're only two days' march from the place. I'd stake my life on it. Darling, there'll be other expeditions. You can try again. Now you've got to get well and strong enough to be carried back to Belém. Diana, I'll never understand what a lovely creature like you saw in a dried-up, crotchety old thing like me. <laughs> my whole life changed when you turned away from that ass Forrester and looked at me and smiled that night at the Explorers Club in Rio. It was the most wonderful thing that had ever... Darling, we leave at daybreak, Mario and I, for the supplies. Yes, I know. Daybreak. Hmm. Hurry back. Of course. Next Thursday's our first anniversary. We've been married a whole month. You don't really think I'd spend that day with Mario and a lot of grinning tapirapes babbling picanto, picanto. And Diana left the tent to complete plans for the short journey at dawn. The river village of Mentura lay only a few miles down the Rio das Mortes, the river of death. There, Diana could send a wireless message via Belém to the foundation. Also, Mario could replenish their dwindling supplies of quinine and coffee. Oh, I don't like these new porters Mario signed up. Dirty, ragged Orobos. Vulture people, the inspector of Indians called them. Vulture people. Cannibals or something, if I remember rightly. Oh, sleep. Wish I could sleep. Mario. Never did trust those Pretty boys, where young women are concerned. Hey, Senor, speak? Right. No, no, nothing. I was talking to myself. Swat that blasted tarantula up there, will you? It's going to fall on me. And Harbin slept, fitfully. He dreamed a recurrent dream in which his lovely young wife was lost in a tangle of undergrowth and looped lianas. When the explorer woke once more, his head ached and the tent was steamy with mid-morning heat. Here, you. Bon dia. Senor, dormi bien? Muito bem. Where's the senora? 
She had a breakfast yet? Signora Pe? Pe? Signora, she's a gone. Signora, Signor Mario. Is a gone. I say, let you sleep. You sick, no wake. Well, gone already. Should be back tomorrow at sundown. Matur is only a few miles down the river. Hey. What are you grinning about, eh? What? Hey! Sly beggar. The devil's the matter with him. Hey! Boy! Senor, puritito, eh? Puriti, eh? Senor, give present, give present, puritical. Tell what, you gibbering ape. Purity, the chief. Sir Cedric recognized him suddenly from the dried palm frond stuck in his pierced lower lip, like a spiky beard from his hairless chin. Uh, tell what? Come on. He had tried to sit up, to prop himself up by his elbows, a sense of foreboding suddenly knotting his stomach muscles. Yes, all right. A present. Come on, speak up. <laughs> Senora. Uh, Senora is Senor Mario. No go down you. He's all up. No go matura. Escape boys. It's run away. Cogoyas. It's no come back. What? You're lying. I, I'll kill you. You're lying scum. I'll cut your tongue out for saying a thing like that. No, no lie. No lie, Capitao. It's the truth, <laughs> senor. Thank God, do me no good. Do not. Me good Indian. Me good boy. <sighs> He's lying. Of course he is. Diana would no more desert me in this condition than... Oh, would she? Could a middle-aged husband ever be sure of a young and beautiful wife? Mario. Mario is young. Virile. Whereas me, uh, getting old, one day I shan't be able to satisfy her needs, maybe. She requires someone. Mario? No! Boy! Boy. Do you... Do you happen to know which way my... Senor Mario went? Up river or down? No, Capitan. Is there anyone who could find out for me? A tracker? A tracker could tell me which way the Batalo took off, couldn't he? Uh, tracker, uh, Capitan? Uh, see, tracker, though. But Buriti no more better... Ask Buriti, the chief, to look upon the Senora's battle. Buriti see all things today, yesterday, tomorrow? Yes, quite, chief and witch doctor. You'll just repeat the lie. If it is a lie. The inspector of Indians advised us to have Buriti because he's a brujo. Doctor. Half crazed from addiction to yaki. But they see all things, the brujos. Purity would know all about Diana and that sneaky Brazilian. Or rumors every remnant of local gossip finds its way to the ears of the Brugios, to be palmed off later as supernatural knowledge. But Purity, yes, he would know. Then what's he been saying to me? Diana. No, I, I can't believe it. 
Boy, go. Fetch purity back again, you hear? <laughs> Harbin waited. The suspicion of terrible things was being fanned in his mind. Purity came. He smoked a cigar-holder-like pipe. A peculiar, acrid odor filled the tent. Harbin felt suddenly light-headed. Now look here. I've no time for a lot of mumbo-jumbo. Put that bally smelly pipe away. Senor, senor, do not speak. Burete di brujo e smog di ahualska, di trago the second sight. Oh, I've heard of that. Blasted load of nonsense. Maybe it isn't then. Gone. My wife, the senora. <laughs> but the old brujo said nothing for a long time. He puffed at the queer-shaped pipe and closed his eyes. Sir Cedric lay and cursed the whole of creation silently. At last, the ancient doctor's eyes opened. They go towards the rising sun. But Talloa moves slow. There are three bears. Avantis. The smiling one sleep under the tall blue. The man watches. Now he shoots the gun and kill a blood-red Arara. He bring the feathers to the senora. She laughs and thank him, putting the feathers in her golden hair. Towards the rising sun, not west, Matura, east to Goyas. Now she sing, the senora. She sing this song. It's her favorite song. You lie! No. How can you be lying? Never try to bind me. Never try to hold me. Take me as you find me. Love and let me go. Is there more you wish to know, Capitao? As look into the past. See the Padre and Rio speak marriage vows. The Capitao drops a ring in his eagerness to place it on the finger of the one with the smiling face. In man with the golden moustache. Pick up ring and give it back. Kimber! He was my best man and I did drop the ring. How could you possibly know? Did you overhear Diana and myself? Sam Smith, of course. Nothing supernatural about that. Do you wish, Capitao, I should look into the future? The ayahuasca sends the eyes in all directions, able to see what is, what was, what will it be. The devil you can. All right. What is to be? My wife's run off with a ruddy Brazilian, you say. She coming back? And Burity the Brujo puffed again at the pipe, and his eyes began once more to take on that opaque... Drugged look, the pupils widening until the iris had disappeared. Harbin watched, fascinated, trying to deny the hollow, sick feeling in his stomach. I see, I hear the smiling one screaming. It is written in the stars, 
that the Capitol may keep before him for all the rest of his days the smiling face of his senor. But... Yes. Yes. But it is also written that the sight of it will also drive the Capitol into madness. This I see. No more. Rubbish. All of it. Capital. Forgiveness is better than vengeance. Get out of here. Jealousy is like a poison, Capital. The senor stands with the trail fox. Think well. Get out! And the archaeologist fell back, soaked with sweat, onto his cot, helpless, alone. The old man left, and Harbin's mind sailed upstream, following a batalo, where a lovely blonde girl and a handsome young man sat very close together. Take me as you find me, love and let me go. Diana! Smiling face. Blasted, she was always smiling, laughing at me. Insolent Brazilian. What if I could, I could only follow them, get my hands around his neck? First handsome, virile young idiot to come along, she'd left me. She'd left me with these grinning charantes to get back to Bellum without a guide. Boy, where the devil are you hiding? Senor. Get me purity again. No, wait, he won't go. It's horrible country. Ah. Those new porters, send them to me now. And the Chavante raced off, and returned almost immediately with four grinning vulture men. Harbin blurted out his order in Portuguese, then again a few halting words of Chavante, but the vulture men merely shook their heads, grinned, and looked foolish. Senora. He drew the form of a woman in the air with his hands. I, I want you to... Bring her back to me. He made a scooping motion with his hands towards himself. Suddenly the eyes of the Urubu leader gleamed. He nodded, comprehending. Uh, Turi, uh, white man. Ah, the white man, Mario. The devil with Mario. I don't care what you do about him. And he made a broad motion of dismissal, and the Urubu grinned. Delightedly. Uh, oh, white man. <laughs> the evil-eyed, heavily-scarred man grinned again and made a vague but easily followed throat-cutting gesture. And then he was gone with his flock, like eager scavenger birds. Forgiveness better than vengeance? Well, after a time I shall forgive her. We can still build a life together... Probably after I forgive her, she'll love me more, really love me. What did he mean, though? Purity. A smiling face. Drive me into madness. Three days passed, and then a fourth, and Sir Cedric Harbin lay and sweated helplessly in his cot. She'll cry, fling her arms around my neck and beg forgiveness. I will forgive her, gladly. 
It's all I want, to get her back again. To have her back again, smiling. A smiling face, the same as always. I wonder, wonder what the Urubu meant when I said about Mario. <clears throat> I suppose she loves the blighter. Have I any right to? Ah, but what sort of life would she lead with a jungle guide? Whatever the rotter gets, he richly deserves it. Killing a man or having him killed for seducing a wife is the accepted thing here in Brazil. It's a hot-tempered country. Capitão, you have given an order to the Urubu men, and it is not good. The senor stood at the fourth trail, and he has taken the wrong turning. And the old one lighted the evil-smelling pipe and smoked silently for a while. Then he closed his eyes and intoned once more. Ah, I see. A lost city which the jungle has eaten. Great blocks of stone carven with strange writing. The smiling one stands before it while the senor takes her picture. The devil, you say? So the blood has not only stolen my wife, but he's jumped the gun on my expedition, eh? Going to claim the credit for finding my... Well, it's good enough for him, whatever they do to him. I'm glad I sent them. Glad. They are children. Do not condemn the forest people. They go only to do the capital's bidding. All right, so I told them to kill him. What's it to you, you shriveled up old fool? Get out of here. They should be back by tomorrow's sundown with my wife. That's all I want. I'll never let her out of my sight again. Back at Belém, a decent hotel. I'll make her forget all about Mario. I'll shower her with presents, make subtle love to her. That's what I... Sundown. The fifth day. They're back. They're back with... with Diana. Capitão, Capitão, the Senor Mario is not with them. The three bearers of our tribe are slain or escaped. But the smiling one, they have brought the back as the Senor ordered. Oh, good, good. Have they landed? Send them to me. Hurry, hurry. He braced himself for the sight of his wife, perhaps dragged angrily in between two grinning Urubus. But the chief came in alone and presented Sir Cedric Harbin with a crumpled sheet of paper. What's this? A note from her? My darling, I'm sending this message back by one of the Chavantes. By now you must know we didn't go to Matura and never planned to go. I persuaded Mario to take me on to your lost city so your expedition needn't be a flop. My dear, it seemed to mean so much to you. And I couldn't bear to see you looking so disgusted with yourself. I didn't tell you because I knew you'd stop this from trying it alone. Mario has taken some pictures, and I've copied a few hieroglyphics off the stones, also some pottery. Darling, you and your Colonel Fawcett and your silly paper in Rio were right. There is a sort of temple here. Inca, I believe. The altar stone for sacrifice is inlaid with gold and silver. Oh, I wish you could see it. But I've made some maps, and we can come back here. After your ribs. The note ended abruptly, 
a pen-stroke straggling down the paper from the last word. Harbin looked up into the eyes of the Urubu, and that man happily made his throat-cutting gesture again. And suddenly, like a cold hand upon his heart, Cedric Harbin remembered what the Inspector of Indians had said about the Urubu tribe, not a history of cannibalism, but of head-hunting. What have I made Diana witness? What terrible rights. She'll never forgive me. Rishanji, where's, where's my wife? Tell her to come here. Bring her here quickly. The Urubu grinned evilly, nodding several times like a small boy proud of his homework. He returned again, almost immediately, carrying a small wicker basket. Even before he jerked off the lid and saw the shrunken thing inside, lips stitched together in a hideous travesty of a smile, the long blonde hair unbound and carefully brushed clean of blood flecks, <gasps> Harbin began to scream. Midnight. The program is adapted for broadcasting and produced by Michael McCabe. Ironized Yeast presents Lights Out, Everybody. Out brings you stories of the supernatural and the supernormal, dramatizing the fantasies and the mysteries of the unknown. We tell you this frankly, so if you wish to avoid the excitement and tension of these imaginative plays, we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now. This is Arch Obler. In these days, the jungles are full of the whine of machine gun bullets and the chatter of monkey men with 25 caliber automatic rifles. There was a time, though, when the sound in the jungle was that of insects and the raucous call of jungle birds. Men went in, into the tropical forest for high adventures or to make money. It's of these times that our story is tonight. But first, Frank Martin. Today, any number of Americans who seem to have everything they need may be underweight and jittery, under par and frequently tired. And in many cases, this is due to a deficiency. Yes, a deficiency of vitamin B1 and iron. Yet pleasant little ironized yeast tablets give you both these substances when you need more of them. So many folks who did now thank ironized yeast and its two-way help for glorious new pep and strength and pounds. So remember that name, friends. Ironized yeast tablets. And now... 
Lights out. Everybody. The jungles of the upper Amazon. You don't have to shout. I hear you. Hey, Dixie, look. Hey, look at this. Look at this one. Look at it, I tell you. Uh, another butterfly. Yeah, look at these wings. Look at them. Better if it had wings big as an airplane to take us out of this hellhole. Uh, I bet I'll get ten francs for this one. <laughs> if we get out of the jungle alive. Oh, I'll get out. Aye. You mean we? You wouldn't leave me here? Uh, don't worry, Dixie. You get in this with me and you'll get out of it with me. Uh, it's good to sit down. Until the ants begin to eat you. Oh, cut it out, will you? Can't you do anything but sing the blues? Uh, I suppose I should be happy. I should sing a song because the sun is burning me up, because the insects bite me, because I'm here in this devil's hole half the world away from my home. Cut it out. If I like it any better than you do. It's our only chance, see? Catching these bugs is our only chance to get the dough and get out of here. But the sun beats... You think the sun's any colder working on the mines? You think the sun's any colder sitting out there on the beach tearing your heart out every time you see a boat heading back? Tell you, Dixie, the jungle's the only chance we have to get out of here, and by the devil, I'm taking it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I know it's as you say. Our only chance. Sure it is. Now snap out of it. Another couple of days like this one, and we'll have caught enough of these bugs to head back to the coast. But will we get through? Listen, Dixie, when I say I'm getting out of here, I'm getting out. But the natives say... Cut it out, I tell you. Nothing's going to stop me. But if we do get out, how do we know that Mr. Renap will buy the butterflies? Listen, he said he would, didn't he? Oh, what a man says. Yeah? But why shouldn't he buy them? Gives us a franc apiece and then sells them all over the world for plenty of dough. But who would waste money on such things? Don't you know nothing? Schools, museums, they pay plenty of dough for these jungle butterflies. But why should anybody... Oh, forget it, I tell you. Yeah, hot enough without you shooting your mouth up all over, all over the time? Now, lay still, I tell you, and forget it. All right. I'll forget it. Joe, huh? I've seen you laugh to yourself. Why do you laugh? I was just thinking. What? I think of what you said before about a butterfly with wings like an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> Funny, ain't it? Two big guys like you and me. Guys that shot the works from us and the murder. Both of us depended on what? To get us out of the jungle and back to where we came from. <laughs> Handful of blue and red and purple butterflies. Yeah, that's where it is. Mm, funny, ain't it? If anybody told me a couple of years ago that I'd be chasing bugs, I'd have slugged them. The bugs are all the chance I got now. That's right. <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing. When I was a kid, I used to chase butterflies, too. <laughs> Dinky little white ones all around the empty lot and back. Of the... What's the matter with you, Dixie? <laughs> what are you staring at? You... You didn't see it? You see what? What is there to see but a... Natives? No. Then what? Then what? From behind that tree. He looked out at me. He... What were you talking about? Who looked out at you? A spider. And I think it was as large as a dog.
uh, not sleeping. Uh, I can't sleep either. Oh, it's so hot. Gee, I used to get nice and cool about this time of night where I used to live. Joe. Yeah, what's the matter? Did I... Did I see it? You're starting that again. But I must have seen it. I, I must have seen it. It was all so clear. Look, I tell you, it was nothing but a monkey hanging there. <laughs> Spider. But I saw... Go on, the heat's frying your brains. Go on to sleep. Yeah. Sleep. I'll try. Okay. Blasted mosquito got it under the netting. You get uh, it? You no, get it? Oh no. I got it. <laughs> Another one? Uh, hole in the netting. That's what's the matter. Uh, might as well get up and fix it. <clears throat> Blast that stuff. It's falling apart with mildew. Joe! What Joe! What do you want? Don't go too close to the edge of that clearing. What are you talking about? I'm just going to fix the netting so that. <sighs> Joe, what? Joe, what is it? Joe! I'm okay. Yeah, but you... You screamed. Yeah. Well? I saw it, too. I was sitting at the edge of the clearing in the moonlight. <laughs> yeah. Spiders... Big as a dog. Tighter. Pull the line tighter. Here. Yeah, that does it. Okay, come on out of the tree now. All right. Now watch yourself. Don't shake that tree too much. That trap door set on a hair trigger. Yeah. Now it's done. Yeah. <laughs> that cage ain't strong enough to hold it. You can run a knife through me. But but what if it doesn't come here again? It was here by the tree the last two nights, wasn't it? Yeah, but what So if... it'll do it again. Only this time it's going to stay by the tree. But what if the trap fails? No, start that again. I tell you, one jerk in his mind from where we're sitting, the whole cage will fall right on him. <laughs> then, my friend, our troubles are all over. I tell you, Joe, I'm afraid. Afraid of what? Getting out of here and getting someplace where we can live like men? You afraid of making money? Money? Listen, for a spider that big, I could get enough cash to float home with silk shirts on our back. Think of it. A spider that big? We'll clean up with it. No, Joe, no. I say, let's get away from here. <laughs> oh, scared you, Dixie, huh? Well, it told me. I tell you, this blast of jungle has spit out a gold mine for us. But, but the trap. Are you sure of it, Joe? Sure, sure, I'm sure. We'll catch him. <laughs> and it won't be butterflies paying our ship fare home, Dixie. It'll be the biggest spider in the world. <laughs> That's all right, huh, Dixie? <laughs> but are you sure of the trap, Joe? Yeah, wind's strong, right? Yeah. I wonder what time it is. 
Stars are gone. Uh, getting up morning. Yeah. It was always earlier before. Trap frightened them away. Uh, what do spiders know about traps? Uh, you said yourself they're clever. Don't be a fool. But you said yourself... Just talking, that's all. There's a fear in me. Cold and sharp as if... Wait. Huh? The edge of the clearing. It's coming. Stay quiet. Joe, let him go. Quiet or I'll kill you. Don't pull a trap. Quiet. It's looking at us. Another step and it'll be right under you. There. I got it. I got it. Oh, look at it, Dixie. Drug. And it's mine. The biggest spider in creation. I'll get all the money I need. <laughs> well, Dixie, what's the matter with you? Come on, why don't you say something? Trapped. And it doesn't move. Just looks at us. Ladies and gentlemen, we leave our Lights Out story of the spider for just a moment to look in on an American girl who might be you. The postman is calling, and she says, Bills and advertisements. Seems like I hardly ever get any other kind of mail. But what can I expect? I don't write letters either. I feel too tired and jittery and run down to do much of anything these days. Well, now, if more vitamin B1 and iron is all you need to help build yourself up, Get ironized yeast tablets. Vitamin B1 and iron? Why are they so important? Here's why. When you don't get enough vitamin B1 from your food, you may lose your appetite, not eat enough to keep up your normal weight and strength. And when you don't get enough iron from your meals, you may be weak and pale, frequently feel only half alive. And ironized yeast tablets supply both vitamin B1 and iron? Right. These easy-to-take little tablets have benefited any number of folks who suffered from these shortages. So try ironized yeast tablets if you need more vitamin B1 and iron. See if soon you aren't saying, I feel wonderful. I've gained weight, got back my old-time pep and strength. Now I have the energy to do all the things I used to enjoy. And now back to our lights-out story of The Spider. Well, say, uh, since we caught the big fella, <laughs> three. Yeah, three days. You haven't fed it? You're telling me. Why do you... Because I'm playing it smart. Pretty soon that thing won't be caring much about anything. Then I'm going to slip a bottom of that cage and off we go. They say such creatures can live for a long time without eating. Not one of that size. I figure that sitting out there in that sun all day, well, in about a week it won't care much whatever we do with it. Joe. Yeah. How could such a creature be? What do you mean, how could it be? You're looking at it, ain't you? But such a spider. <laughs> it's there. That's all that means anything to me. But such a giant creature. That's it. It's a giant, ain't it? Well, you've seen giant human beings in circuses, haven't you? 
Well, they just happen, that's all. That's the way this spider happened. So black. Yeah. The midnight special, ain't he? Those big, hairy legs. Once I saw an octopus. Huh? Devilfish. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And this one looks like a, a dry land devilfish, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we'll not make a billboard at a circus sideshow. Will we clean up? The legs, the strength they must have. Mm-hmm, not when I get through with them. Look at it, Joe, be honest. Huh? Isn't there a strange fascination when you look at it closely? What are you talking about? Its eyes. Well, how they shine. So what? As if there was a thought behind them. You're starting that again. All these three days it sits there so quietly. Its eyes like burning flames just watching. Cut watching. it out, cut it out. If it is thinking. I'm afraid of what it is thinking. <laughs> Hot in it, Spider. Yeah, plenty hot. <laughs> yeah, Dixie couldn't take it anymore. He's off looking for a cool spot. But me? Uh, I didn't want to leave you alone, Spider. <laughs> I didn't want to leave my meal ticket. You're going to be a big-time attraction on the boardwalk in some big-time circus, Spider. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're a screwy-looking thing, Spider. They won't believe you until they see you. The fella is going to cause them plenty before they do see. <laughs> hey, Spider. Why don't you move? Spider. You're not dead. Get a stick, Spider. Bless you, you're not dead. You can't be dead. It's been only a week since... You can't be dead. You're my chance. You can't be dead. Curled up with your legs over you. Blessed your move. Reach in and see. I... <laughs> Look, oh. Go on me. You bastard devil. You fool me. Let go. Let go of my arm. Get away. Let go. Dixie. Dixie. The spider. Come on, Dixie. Suddenly so quiet. Joe! Where's the man? He said he'd be here. He said... Buddy. Buddy, what... Dried up. What? Joe! Joe, come quickly. I found a body. Joe, come quickly. Must see who? <gasps> Joe. Joe, it's you. Joe, how did this... What? spider. But how? Gone. Gone from the cage. And what he did to you, Joe. Might come back. Why do I stand here? It might come back. Gotta get out. Yeah, get things together. Butterflies. Take boxes and get out before... Something move behind that tree. No, it won't get me. Won't get me. Won't get me. Oh! 
My foot twisted. Must have broken my... Oh, gotta get away. Crawl. Gotta get away. Gotta get away. Gotta get away. I did get away. I crawled miles. I did get away. Clearing. Someone to help me. Crawled at the house. Someone to help me. So dark. Oh. Tired. No strength to call out. Crawl and find someone to help me and I'll be free free touch something what a body Joe Joe you but how what back in the camp I'm back in the camp crawled all night in the circle back in the camper no get out get out before no, 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 can't crawl anymore. It sound. What? Behind me, it's behind me, waiting to jump on my back. No, don't! Nothing. Isn't there? If I could only crawl again, if I could only get away before. The moon coming up bright. No, I'll see. I'll see what. Not here. Only you, Joe. Empty flesh over there in the moonlight. Blast you to the devil, Joe. You brought me here. You were right to you, die, but that spider won't get me, not me. It's gone now. My leg, it will get better. I will get away. Yes, I will. I. No closer, no, no. Going back. What, what? On Joe. Crawling over him. But Joe is dead. Why does he... What is the spider going to... <gasps> Spinning a web over him, turning him around and around like a fly, covering him with that thick silk. <laughs> Spinning a web of silk over Joe. <gasps> Sleep? Sun. Morning. Morning. It is morning. I'm alive. I'm alive. 
Someone coming. Get a hide. Who? So heavy a wolf, it can't be that devil spider. Must be one of the savages. They'll help me. See who? Joe. It is Joe alive. Joe. Joe, I'm here. Joe, I'm here. Wait for me. Joe, why do you stand there? I must have had a dream. All that happened, yes, a dream last night. Oh, it's such a funny nightmare to tell you. Joe, why do you just stand there? Why do you just look at me? Your eyes, the sun shines in them, they hurt me. Don't look at me like that, Joe. Your eyes so dark, so big. I say closer, closer, my friend, come closer. I have such a happy thing to tell you closer. I hear you. I like what your eyes are singing to me, Joe. Yes, I come closer. Uh, you keep telling me that happy thing. Yeah. I'm close to you now, Joe. Tell me what your eyes... Your hand. Why do you grab my arm? Your other hand, my other arm. Why do your fingers hold my arm so tight? They hurt me. Another arm on my shoulder. Joe, what? Another arm holding my neck. Joe, so many arms. How can it be? Joe, it is you. I see your face, but your eyes bigger and bigger. Sun so strong in my head, burning my head inside. Is that why I see such crazy things, Joe? Joe, why don't you say something? Your eyes bigger and bigger, burning into my head. Now your face is changing. Joe, it is you. And why doesn't your face... <sighs> Joe, that sound. Your face, your arms... Spider. You are the spider. The spider. Your eyes fooled me, didn't they? Made me think I was seeing Joe, but all the time it was you, Mr. Spider. They're wonderful eyes you have, Mr. Spider. I'm not afraid anymore. Isn't that a joke? Your black arms pull me close. I see the poison dripping from your fangs. But I'm not afraid. It's very funny. When the worst thing really happens, you're not afraid. I'm not afraid. Your fangs. Closer. Closer. I'm not afraid. Right deep. Right deep. Now, Mr. Obler, what's the moral of tonight's story? Stay away from spiders? Yes, especially from black widows. No, Frank, our story tonight was just in fun, which reminds me of vacations, of which few of us are going to have any this year. And speaking of vacations, I'd like to tell you about a very amazing vacation I once had, visiting haunted houses. What's this about a vacation in a haunted house, Mr. Obler? Houses, Frank. And after that vacation, I was badly in need of something our government wants from us very much these days. Nurses. Now, here's some facts, and please listen, because they concern each of you. Unless the nurse power of the... Entire nation is reinforced by the enrollment of 
65,000 students in the schools of nursing for 1943, all of us face a real threat to civilian health. Therefore, beginning immediately and continuing through the spring and summer months, nursing must be considered America's number one woman power shortage. I'd like to say some words that the government said. 65,000 young women must dedicate their lives so that others might live. Now about haunted houses. Well, I visited all the legendary haunts up in New England, but, well, I went through the moss-covered old piles and creaky-floored structures and weather-beaten homes and all the places where the souls of the unhappy depart are supposed to walk through the night. <laughs> what happened? I caught a, a violent cold oh. and met a little old lady. Oh, who's she? Well, you'll meet her next week in a play titled Little Old Lady. And to all of you, I have a very, very cordial invitation to an amazing little old lady next week. It is later than you think. Good evening, dear listeners. I am Barnabas Collins. I hope you will forgive the intrusion, and I hope that you have been enjoying Broken Sea Audio Productions' OTR Swagcast. Please allow me to introduce the next haunting episode of Dark Shadows. At Collinwood, no one is safe from the nameless terror that hovers so close. Tonight, young David Collins has reason to hope that the fears we've all had will soon be put to rest. Vicky, what's taking them so long? When you're waiting for something, the time all seems to go longer than it really is. Maybe something's happened to them. Don't be silly. Vicky, terrible things can happen at that old house. Nothing has happened to them. Burke and Dr. Woodard will be back here very soon. And they'll tell everyone that they saw the coffin. And everything will be all right. I won't have to worry anymore. You believe me, don't you, Vicky? Well, I... I believe that you thought there was a coffin there. I know I saw a coffin, and you'll know that too as soon as they get back. Sister Anne, Sister Anne, tell me what you see. What? That's what you look like, standing there at the window. Like Sister Anne in the story of Bluebeard, looking out the window to see if any help was coming up the road. While the poor bride cowered in the corner. Do you remember that story? Yes, I remember it. And help finally did come. Just in time. And the bride was saved from death. <laughs> Nothing in the basement. You'll have to admit that Barnabas acted awfully strangely about letting us down. 
I've always thought that Barnabas's behavior was a little strange. I don't like him. Nothing about him. He's the kind of guy that makes you want to prove himself wrong. Yeah. It's a strange family. Listen, we're going to have to be very, very careful in the way we break the news to David. However it's done, he's going to be terribly hurt. Yeah, I know. It's going to make it just that much more difficult to find out what it is that's causing the boy's fantasies or hallucinations or whatever else it is that he's experiencing. You're convinced that's all they are? Fantasies? I don't know. I'm an adult, Burke. I'm, a, I'm supposedly a, a, a trained scientist. But this situation is utterly beyond my understanding. I, I'm baffled by it. More than that, I'm frightened. I can well imagine how frightened the boy must be. We've got to find out who or what is behind all this and help the boy. Well, gentlemen, what have you to say for yourselves? Well, Barnabas wasn't particularly willing or eager to let us examine his basement. And so you didn't go down there? Oh, yes, we finally did. And? There was no coffin. The basement room was practically empty. Well, I trust you gentlemen at least enjoyed your walk. It is a nice evening for that. Is that all you have to say? Well, what do you want me to say? You're very quick to point out how odd and eccentric my cousin is. I think I would have reacted exactly as he did. The idea of two hysterical grown men tramping through a cellar looking for an empty coffin is macabre. Roger, I don't think that asking for Barnabas' cooperation is, is an imposition. After all, he is the boy's cousin. Yes, and I'm the boy's father, and I tell you, I wouldn't cooperate. David is a very dramatic little boy. He loves to play games, and the more people cooperate with him, the more fantastic his games become. Well, Roger, I am a physician. Now, I think I know the difference between a frightened person and a mentally disturbed person when I see them. Of course you do, Doctor, and I'm sure that you can recognize the difference between a cellar with a coffin and a cellar without a coffin. I don't think you realize how serious David's condition may be. David has no condition. He's like every other young boy. But because he's a Collins, everyone... He's anxious to put a label on him, to find strangeness where none exists. Well, Collins or not, that is a very frightened little boy. And every other little boy in the world is frightened. It's part of growing up. When I was a child in this house, I was terrified of the darkness in the corners. And frightened to walk along the corridors by myself. I used to think that all the people in these Collins portraits, all those dead people stared at me wherever I went, looked at me with piercing eyes, hated me. Well, I outgrew it, and so will David. Now, better go up and talk to him. Aren't you going up to? I leave the matter entirely to you. Tell him what you saw, or rather, what you did not see. Let him know that he hasn't won this game, anyway. It is not a game. If it is, it's a very dangerous one.
They're back. Did you find anything? Vicky, do you mind if we talk to David alone for a minute? No, of course not. I'll be downstairs in the drawing room if you need me. Is everything all right, Burke? I don't know, Vicky. I hope so. coffin in that cellar, David. But it's there. You must have seen it. I'm sorry, David. We didn't. You mean he wouldn't let you go down and look for it? Oh, yes, he let us go down. He came down with us. But the cellar room was empty. It couldn't be. I saw it. Come on now, David. Don't get upset. It wasn't there. But, but it had to be. I saw it there. Look, you act as if we were calling you a liar, David. We're not. Burke and I are trying to help you. We want to help you any way we can. But we've got to understand. Then believe me. Because if you don't, something terrible will happen to me. Oh, don't worry, David. No, we're not going to let anything happen to you. You can say that, but but you didn't see the coffin, and you, you didn't see the look on Barnabas's face. I wish I knew what was going on in your mind. I wish I could look deep enough. It isn't in my mind. It's out there. The evil is out there. Out where? Tell us, Dave. I wish I could tell you, but I promised I wouldn't. What do you mean? There's a place out there. In the cemetery. A tomb. The mausoleum. Where Naomi and Joshua Collins are buried. Sarah's buried there, too. I promised I wouldn't tell, but I'm going to have to break that promise. David, we know all about the mausoleum and the people that are buried there. So you won't be breaking a promise just to tell us? Yes, I am. Because someone else was buried there once. But there are only three coffins in the mausoleum. No. There's one more in there. There isn't any third coffin in the... any fourth coffin in the mausoleum, Kate. Whose is it? I don't know. You see, it's... it's empty. But as I say, there isn't another coffin there, David. Yes, there is. Behind the wall in the secret room. talking about that secret room again. Now, you say Sarah told you about it. She even took me there. And that's what happened to me when I got lost. Got lost in the secret room. And there was a coffin in it, huh? An empty one. I had to hide in it when 
Cousin Barnabas and Willie came in. If they had found me there, they would have killed me. That's why I had to tell Sarah. Because they would have killed me. Come on, dear. Come on. Sit down, David. Coffins frighten you a great deal, don't they, David? You think I made it all up, don't no, you? No, I didn't say that. But I didn't. I'll show you. I'll take you to the mausoleum and... And I'll show you how to get into the secret room. Then you can see the coffin for yourself. Suppose we get there and there is no secret room. But there is. I know there is. And I'll show it to you if you just give me one more chance. All right, David. You show us. Now, we're going to have to get your father to say that it's all right for us to take you out with us tonight. You'll say close to me when we're out there, won't you? I don't want to get lost up in that room again. We'll be with you every night. And Cousin Barnabas, no, we won't know we're going out, will he? You'll have no way of knowing. You'll be safe as long as you're with us. Okay, I'm ready. I'd like to ask permission to take David out with us for a while. Out where? To the um, mausoleum on Eagle Hill. To the what? To the mausoleum. There's something there that David wants us to see. Another empty coffin, perhaps. I think it would be better if we discussed it later, after we get back. I'm afraid that will not be possible. You're not going anywhere, at least with my son. But we have to go. David, I know best what you have to do. There's something in the mausoleum that David thinks would help us, provide us with a clue as to what's been bothering him. Why he's so terrified of Barnabas. Oh, so we're back to Barnabas, are we? Well, he is the one that David's afraid of. Yes, and he's also a me member of this family. And as such, is entitled to a certain amount of respect. I think it's shocking that a cousin of mine is insulted and defamed and accused of... I don't even know what to call it. We're not accusing Barnabas of anything. We just want to give David the benefit of the, of the doubt. You seriously think that there's some deep, dark secret in that mausoleum? No. We just want to take a look. I think it's ridiculous and insulting. I'm sorry you feel that way, Roger. You know, it seems to me that taking the boy out there might help to ease his mind. It's terribly important to him. Well, if you don't think you're making fools of yourselves, go on out and look for your 
terrible shadows in the night. But let me warn you, this is going to be the end of it. What do you mean? If there's nothing in that mausoleum except what should be there, we're calling a halt to all this nonsense about Barnabas. Is that clearly understood, David? There is a secret room in the mausoleum, and I'm going to show it to them. And there was a coffin in the basement. David, there was no coffin in the basement. You imagined all of it. I didn't. Yes, you did. You're not going to be warm enough in that. Let me get you a jacket. Dr. Woodard, David is my only child, and I'm very concerned about him. I'm not blind to the fact that he has problems, perhaps more serious problems than the average boy his age. As I said, I'm... I'm very concerned about it. I know you are, Roger. And I think that the time has come to speak of his mental state and perhaps the possibility of professional help. A psychiatrist? Looking in empty cellars and tombs is not going to uncover anything. Looking into my boy's mind, if anyone can do it. All right, if you think you have to go on, go on out now. Thank you, Roger. Come on, David. They'll take good care of him. The way you looked at Berg Devlin, I'm sure you think he could take care of anything. Are you still planning on getting married? Yes, of course. Right away? Burke wants to right away. And you? I'll stay here as long as David needs me. There's no way of telling how long that will be. In his present mental state, he's like a person on a thin wire. Very high off the ground. Any minute he may fall and... Plunge downward. Out of our reach forever. Well, here we are. Well, go ahead, David. Lead the way. What's the matter? I felt a sudden chill. It's a pretty cool night, even with a tweed jacket on. Come on. I guess we'd better go in. All right. Now, show us where the secret room is. It's behind that middle panel on the wall. How do you get into it? I'll show you. See the, the lion with the ring in its mouth? Well, you pull the ring and the secret door opens. Well, go ahead, David. Pull the ring. I can't get 
Let me give it a try. That thing is not about to move. I can't understand it. I did it before, and and it was easy. I don't know what happened. Wait a minute. I know what happened. Isaac got here first, and he did something to it. Would you like to try it, Doctor? Well, why not? Here, hold it, then. Well, I guess we're not as strong as we used to be. It's been a long, hard night. You don't believe me. You don't believe that there is a secret room. Now, look, David, we want to believe you. But the... We, we, we can't see the secret room, and we can't see the coffin unless the panel opens. And the panel doesn't open because... Well, maybe it never did open. Maybe you did just imagine it, David. I didn't imagine it. I'll open it. You wait and see. Come on, David. It's late. We're going home. You don't believe me. You don't believe that there is a secret room. David, there's something that you have to believe, too. Burke and I are your friends. We want to help you. And we will, somehow. But you've got to help us, too. How? By admitting that all there is in this building is what you can see. The floor, the four walls, the ceiling, and these three coffins. And that's all. No. It isn't all. Look, it's Sarah's flute. You see, Sarah's been here. So it proves I've been telling the truth. Let me see that. Now, David, you actually saw Sarah playing this thing? Sure. I, I've seen her play it, and she always plays the same song. You're sure that it isn't just one of your flutes? No, I'm positive. Sarah left it here. And why do you suppose she'd do a thing like that? Because she wanted me to find it and show it to you. So then you'd believe me about the secret room. Why don't we just forget about the secret room, David? There is a secret room, Bert. There is. Come on, we're going back to Tom. Your father and Vicky won't wonder what happened to us. Well, at least Roger will be pleased. He said we wouldn't find anything, and we didn't. I don't think that's exactly true, Bert. We didn't find what we came for, for sure. We found this. Now, that's something. There's got to be a reason why this thing was here. Well, listen. It's the only tangible thing we've come up with so far. Within the walls of the great house at Collinwood, there is a frightened child. Young David Collins is searching desperately for a friend who has the dark, secret answers to his questions. But his friend is not easy to find. Because she comes from a world beyond the world we know at Collinwood. Sarah? Where are you? I want to talk to you. Sarah, I know you're staying away from me on purpose because you're mad at me. Oh, I'm mad at you, too. Sarah, we've got to talk. Oh, 
is falling down. Sarah, please come and talk to me. Sarah, you've got me into a whole mess of trouble. You've got to get me out. Peter Turchin. Sarah, you certainly took a long time getting here. I wasn't going to come at all. Why not? You know why not. Because I told Burke and Dr. Woodard about the secret room. Yes. I had to tell them. When a secret... When a secret's not a secret, do you know what it becomes? No. What? Nothing, just nothing. Well, Sarah, it's easy for you to sit there and say that, but, but I'm the one that's in all the trouble. Because the secret door wouldn't open? You knew it wouldn't open, didn't you? Yes. Just how did you know? You did something to make it stay closed, didn't you? I didn't do anything. Then who did? Somebody. Who? Just somebody. Sarah, well, all I can say is, Burke and Dr. Woodard must think I'm crazy now. In fact, that's probably what everyone thinks. I don't. Well, thanks, Sarah, but, but yesterday, when I really needed you, you weren't anywhere around. I wasn't far away. You know what's happened now? My aunt's gone to the city to get a psychiatrist to come out here and talk to me. They think I've been making up stories. You know I haven't, so that's why I'm mad at you. Well, I guess I'd better go. No, don't go, Sarah. I'm not really mad. I'm going to leave as soon as you give me back my flute. I can't give it back. Why not? Because Dr. Woodard said he wanted to study it. I let him have it. Oh, David, you shouldn't have done that. I'll get it back to you as soon as he's finished. Sometimes my flute's the only thing I have to keep me company. Stop worrying about your silly flute. And tell me what I'm going to do to make people believe me. I don't know. Well, you've got to think of something. Sarah, if things get any worse, they might send me away someplace. To a hospital or something. Someplace that Barnabas can get far away. Please, because we haven't finished talking. Please. David, may we come in? Sure. Did I hear you talking to someone? Yes, Sarah. Sarah? Yes, Sarah. David, this is Dr. Fisher. He wants to have a talk with you. Are you a psychiatrist? Yes. Does that word scare you? No. Good. It should I'm not crazy. David, no one said you were. That's what everyone thinks. 
Everyone. I don't. What's that? My crystal ball. I use it all the time. What for? I use it to look for Sarah when I have to find her. I see. Mrs. Stoddard, if you'd be good enough to wait downstairs, I'd like to talk to David alone. Certainly. I'll be in the drawing room. Back when the dream ended? No. Then Sarah took me into this strange room with a coffin in it. I told her I didn't want to go in, but she said we had to because the person she was looking for was in there. And was the person there? Yes. In the coffin. It was Barnabas. Barnabas Collins. Yes. He he was he wasn't dead. He was something horrible. He, he came at me, and, and then, his face, I don't even want to think about it. What about his face? It was all horrible and, and mean. He came at me, and I could see his fangs. He had fangs in the dream? Yes, like a wild animal, a wild animal that wanted to eat you. I started screaming, and that's when I woke up and found out I was safe. Of course you were. That time, yes. What do you mean, that time? Have you had this dream more than once? No. Barnabas is going to come after me. Again and again. And I'm afraid maybe next time I won't be safe. He'll get me. That's why you can't let them put me away someplace that Barnabas can get to me. David, nobody's going to get you here or any place else. Now... Do you think you can answer a few more questions? I'll try. Do you think about uh, dying very much? I didn't used to, but, but now I do all the time. Are you afraid of dying? I'm afraid of Barnabas killing me. Now, Sarah is dead. Isn't that what you told me? Yes. But you're not afraid of her? No, of course not. Sarah's my friend. The only one I'm afraid of is Barnabas. David, I'd like uh, you to tell me about your dream one more time. I already told you everything in it. I know. Tell me again. Now start very slowly and don't leave anything out. While I was walking through a sea of clouds and there was a wall all around me and then all of a sudden there was this, this lady standing there she had no face but she kept shining this medallion in my face and he's certainly taking his time up there that may be a good sign must mean that David's willing to talk with him. Oh, I'm sure he's getting him an airport. Dr. Hoffman, I only hope the boy's delusions haven't gone so far that... You still think he's suffering from delusions? Well, don't you? No. But he has to be. There was no coffin in the basement. No secret room. There have been other things. That flute that David found. That doll that turned up in Maggie's room. And a lot of little things that were all of us just half aware. 
make me feel that there's something seriously wrong. And not with David's mind. With what, then? I know. I wish I could answer that question. I just feel that there's some, some similarity between what happened to Maggie and what's happening to David. How could there be? Maggie was kidnapped by, by Willie. And it's Barnabas that David's afraid of. Bert, I'm not at all certain that Willie kidnapped anyone. Well, they found Maggie's ring in his room. And Willie put it there? Well, who do you think put it there? I don't know. I guess it's wrong to speculate. So let's stick to the facts that we do know. Fact number one. When Maggie, Maggie Evans, was found, she was suffering from a very strange neck wound. Fact number two. When Willie Loomis was found, he was suffering from a, a very similar, exactly similar type neck wound. Now, Bert, I'm ready to go along with the idea that, that Willie was responsible for Maggie's wound. But that still leaves us with one very big question unanswered. Who's responsible for Willie's? Exactly. This I'm certain of. Both those wounds were inflicted by the same person. Creature. That person. Creature is still at large somewhere. seemed quite relieved to talk to me about his dreams. What did you make of him? Well, I'll have to take them some time to study them, try to discover the deeper meanings. But I can tell you that right now, he's very disturbed. Oh, poor child. Of course he's disturbed. He's terrified. But the question is why and how real is it? Oh, a patient's fears are always real because they're rooted in the only ultimate subjectivity. His own existence, his own experience. Doctor, do you think this might have something to do with David's past? Well, it might just be possible that uh, David has never accepted his mother's death. And because of this, death is more terrifying to him than it is to most people. You really think it's as simple as that? Well, why, for example, was the woman who appeared to him, the one who uh, dangled the shiny medallion in front of him, a submerged figure. Why did she have no identity? Perhaps because the very thought of his mother's death is so painful to him that he has to keep it at a distance, try to cover it up, so to speak. Well, it's true. He never talks about his mother. Ah, but he's very attracted to her. Why else would she dangle that medallion in front of him, try to lure him? What about Sarah? Yes, Sarah. Well... First of all, we'll have to admit that all children have imaginary companions. Oh, of course they do, but not dead ones. Well, that's an answer I don't presume to know yet. But then again, it might very well fit in with David's inordinate fear of death. How? By making Sarah a dead child, his dear companion, David is trying, uh, subconsciously speaking, symbolically, to... Uh, Make friends with death. To reconcile himself with it. You understand? Yes, I think so. 
but it's a reconciliation that uh, he obviously can't come to by himself. He's torn. He, he wavers. Just as Sarah is his attempt to come to terms with death, Barnabas is the fear of death come back again. But why Barnabas? Perhaps there's something about him. His height, his shape, the shadow he casts that frightens the boy. Why Barnabas and no other person is something that isn't easy to know. might very well be the striking resemblance of the present Barnabas to his ancestor. You remember the old nursery rhyme, I do not like thee, Dr. Fell, for the reason I cannot tell, but this I know and very well, I do not like thee, Dr. Fell. Yes, that applies to the real Barnabas. Now what he as a person represents to David is something I can't tell. But the imaginary Barnabas, the one that David has created in his dreams, is one that I understand a little better. He is the fear of death. He's always there. Now, sometimes he can be put in his coffin, put down, so to speak. But he always rises up again. An overwhelming sight with his fangs bared, ready to gobble up the boy. Doctor, what can I do to help him? For a while, keep him here and see that he stays calm. Keep him away from Barnabas Collins. I'm sure Barnabas will understand and not take uh, David's reaction personally. He's already shown a great deal of patience in a very awkward situation. Hasn't he, Dr. Woodward? Dr. Woodard. Uh, what? Is something the matter? No, no, nothing at all. Well, you seemed a million miles away. Yes, I was. I, I was just thinking of what Dr. Fisher here just told us. I'm sorry, Mrs. Stoddard, but I've got to go somewhere and do something immediately. If you'll just excuse me. Oh, yes, of course. Doctor, I want to thank you for all the time and attention you've devoted to David's problem. Let's hope we're closer to a, uh, closer to the situation now than we were before. A solution, I'm sure we are. I'll go out with you, Doctor. Uh, after I've gone over my notes thoroughly, Mrs. Stoddard, I'll uh, get in touch with you, and we'll bring David over to my office. Thank you, Dr. Fisher. Liz, I guess I'll head back to town. Mr. Burke, would you mind waiting for a few minutes? Not at all. Goodbye, Doctor. Thank you again. What's on your mind, Liz? Something about David? No. We've got to talk about something that concerns you and Vicky. But what is it? Well, I had a letter from my lawyers today, and I'm afraid they gave me some news that you're not going to like at all. Let's go in there. It's about the house you want to buy from me. Do you remember that old deed I found that was marked not for sale? Yes. Well, according to my lawyers, I have to abide by that deed and an old family will. Would well, they tell you why? Well, it seems that the last member of the family to live in the house was called Caleb Sayers Cullen. And he apparently had a morbid fear of strangers. Well, what does that have to do with the house now? Well, he felt they were out to take everything he owned. He didn't marry because he thought a wife would steal from him. Sounds like a real charmer. 
He finally ended up a very, very old man, all alone in the house, except for the things he collected. And he collected and hoarded just about everything. Including one very beautiful house. Well, the house was the thing he loved most. And so to protect it from falling into the hands of strangers, after he was gone, he made a very unusual provision in his will. That the house could not be sold or passed down to anyone but a member of the Collins family for a period of 100 years. A hundred years? And to make certain the provision was carried out, he left a sum of money to pay the taxes on an empty house. Oh, that's ridiculous. A house as beautiful as that and no one can live in it. I know, Burke. I, I wanted you and Vicky to have the house very much. What about breaking the will? Well, the lawyers think the matter could be brought to court, but it would take several years to invalidate the will, and the 100-year ownership after death clause will be over in five years. Well, that's great. That's just great. Five years. I guess there's a lot to be said for long engagements, but I, I'm not the one to say it. Vicky will be very disappointed, won't she? Yes, yes, she will be. She had her heart set on getting that place. Bert, I promise you, as soon as it's legally possible, you and Vicky will have that house. It will be my wedding present to you. Well, thank you, Liz. But I don't think we want to wait that long for the wedding. Oh, I don't mean that you should wait. Get married and live somewhere else. And then when the house is available, move into it. Yes. I suppose we could. I'm sorry, Bert. I was so sure the news would be good news. It didn't work out that way, did it? No. No, it didn't work out that way. Broken Sea Audio Productions, www.brokensea.com. Good evening. Good evening.
The music for tonight's episode was composed by Brian of Seraphic Panopoly and Stevie Farnaby. Tonight's cast included Mark Kalita and John Bell. child pub in Oxford. It's 1933 and while life is normally quite dull around here, there are three blokes lately who... Valkyries! We saw Valkyries! I jolly well hope that by the end of term not a mythological creature is ever seen again. I would that they had never existed. Um, I hate to point this out, Worsley, but usually by definition, if it is mythological, it never existed. <laughs> now you're confusing me. I thought that was my calling in life. Normally, I wouldn't believe a word they told me. But, seeing as last week Ares' God of War was in the pub, causing 30 quid of damage, I might add, the fiend, I'm beginning to expect the unexpected round here. Oi! I thought I ordered a shepherd's pie. Coming! Broken Sea Audio Productions, Maudlin. Join the mayhem at brokensea.com. Knights in shining armor. Damsels in distress. Pirates are. Belly dancers. Rogues. Wenches. Peasants. And pilgrims. No, this is not your grocery shopping list for the local dragon. Yes, it is. Okay, it's that too. But it's also a recipe for the Renaissance Festival podcast. A weekly downloadable internet radio show. Featuring bands currently performing at Renaissance festivals from the four corners of the world. You'll hear Irish music and Scottish music from the Broadly Nuggie and Bards. Empty Hats Jesse Lender and Cantiga. Arr, and pirate songs from the Jolly Rogers and the Shantyman. Medieval music from Istan Peter. Gypsy music from E Musiki. Bagpipes from the Rogues. Body songs from Iris and Rose, the Bedlam Bards, and the Limey Birds. This isn't the Renaissance. It's a whole lot more. The Renaissance Festival Podcast. Visit us on the web at renaissancefestivalmusic.com. Then start dining on some of the most entertaining music in history. But leave your pet dragon at home, or in your pants. <laughs>